Welcome to the Sunshine Coast Real Estate Podcast, your go-to source for all things real estate on the Sunshine Coast of beautiful British Columbia. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. And now your host, Nathan Demers. Morning, Sunshine Coasters. Today we're joined by best-selling author Richard Moxley. Richard is a credit repair expert and author of The Nine Rules of Credit: How to Start, Rebuild, and Always Maintain Good Credit, as well as the book The Credit Game: Rules Every Canadian Must Know to Win. All right, tell me, how did you become a credit repair specialist? Well, first, let me say welcome to the show. <laughs> Let's forget that part. Yeah. How did you become a credit repair specialist? So it started as being in the mortgage industry about eight years started hearing a lot about well i mean you deal with credit a lot as a mortgage broker as mm-hmm. you would know however i thought i had missed something because all these things i had never been taught never been explained didn't really understand how it all logically made sense yeah and getting all the feedback from banks and lenders on all these insider secrets or insider information on what really they're looking for. When I tried to pass that on to my clients, it seemed like it was going from zero to 100 real quick. Uh, There was no middle ground. And so trying to go through all the details and explain it for each individual client uh, was difficult. And where I found the most challenge was people that thought they had good credit, but Mm -hmm really were messing up their credit in a short time frame because mm-hmm. of the fact that they didn't understand that by doing this, it would lower your score in between the pre-approval process or any matter of time frame, which left a lot of people very upset and left me, you know, without a deal just because they did something they thought was the right thing, but it wasn't. And having to sit down and explain the inner workings of Equifax and TransUnion with each client was not something that I actually had time to do. So it's easier to to break it down than it is to build it up. That's right. That's what you're saying. Did that happen a fair amount where between pre-approval and purchase, did you find that was happening? Yeah, yeah, that was a big one. And then even just people who had been through some kind of event in the past, whether they were new to Canada and just trying to figure things out, or they had been through some kind of debt program, insolvency, or really any past fraud or credit issues. Yeah, They come to you, they're all ready to go, they're all rebuilt with the down payment, and then they have the income, but then their credit's not there. And if they had just done just a couple small things back two years ago, or a year ago, when you first connected with them, then they would have been ready to go. But because they didn't do something or because they did do something, all of a sudden now you're telling them, well, it's going to be another year (laughs) before you get that financing, which is never a fun conversation to have. So what's a common thing you would see as far as it would be somebody, say, going out and racking up furniture bill for their new place? Or was this something that you'd see commonly that would break down that credit really quickly? Yeah. Yeah, I think all brokers uh, have seen a few people that uh, try and buy new furniture for their house and then can't qualify for the house to put it in Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because they have messed something out. But I mean, whether it's buying a new vehicle or even paying off a vehicle, that's something that's not common sense. You would assume Mm -hmm. that paying off a loan or closing a credit card would help your ability to get mortgage financing. But if you don't do it the right way, or if you do it at the wrong time, then all of a sudden 
you're looking less credible to banks and lenders yeah. and your score can take a huge dive, you know, 30, 40, 80 points just by, you know, closing a credit account or paying off a loan, which so doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense. But so why would closing a credit account affect your score negatively? I bet a lot of people would be surprised to hear that. Yeah. So if you think of it as far as active credit or current credit payments being the fuel for, you know, any vehicle, I can't say just, you know, diesel or petroleum anymore, you know, any yeah. kind of vehicle, it, there's some kind of fuel, whether it's battery powered or not, but sure. either way, the fuel that builds your credit or keeps your credit score high is those active and current payments. And right. so even if you've had a credit account for 10, 15, 20 years, that's great. It will stay on the credit report for six years. The underwriter can see it. You as the broker can see it. We know that you're paying your bills on time, but for some reason, the scoring system is weighed very heavily when that credit account is taken from good current credit and put right. into a different category of old good credit. Okay. Fuel is gone. It's no longer fueling your score. And so you can see huge drops because of the fact that it's not current anymore. So it's kind of like you're shutting down you know, your history of good credit. You're sort of turning that off. That's affecting your score negatively. In addition to, I guess, you have less overall credit, access to credit. So yep. that's yeah. another one that can cause some issues. Is just the fact that you don't have as much access to credit, which you would assume would make you less risky. <laughs> yeah. And in a point you do, but it also means that the leftover credit that you do have is higher maxed out or higher utilized, which can then look like you're risky as well. So it's not yeah. something I agree with, but that's unfortunately something that many Canadians come across. Yeah, a lot of the rules seem really backwards. And I think that's why people are confused because <laughs> it doesn't make logical sense, right? The reason why I wrote the book in the first place and just yeah. kind of started focusing on credit full-time, there's lots of help out there when it comes to mortgage education. There's brokers that can you know help you, walk you through everything. But when it comes to credit, you know, there's not a lot of sources that are Canadian or will actually help you. Speaking of the book, I got to ask you this because I'm a mortgage broker as well. And I've got kids, I got four kids and it sounds like, I think you had two kids. Yeah. You got two kids at the time. How many kids do you have now? Five. Yeah. Five. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. I can't talk. You're way bigger. <laughs> oh no, we can definitely talk. We got some, <laughs> we <can> share some <laughs> stories. So how on earth did you find the time to write not just one, but two books on credit repair and be a mortgage broker and have a bunch of kids. Well, I, I like getting up early, which I know is pretty weird for most people. And with kids, you're generally up at some point in time, you know, randomly. And so once I was up in the morning, I'd stay up instead of trying to get an extra half an hour, an hour of sleep or whatever. And so whenever mm -hmm. I was up early, I just started throwing the, the ideas down. And it started really more of like a pamphlet or something I was just going to do like just bits of information online. This was before, you know, the short YouTube videos and stuff like that were right. really anything uh, popular or, or helpful, but it really just became more of a passion project because as I was going through and paying more attention to these clients that had credit issues and what we did to correct it, then it became, okay, well, this is, yeah, something that's kind of weird and something that I think could help Canadians better understand the credit game. How long did it take you to write those books? So the first book was about three years and that was definitely a learning experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As English was one of my worst subjects, Miss Hansen can attest to that. <laughs> uh, 
as far as my English skills, but it was three years of a lot of headache and trying to get it there. The second book was actually not too bad. The biggest challenge with the second book was putting it into an audiobook. That was a new ah, experience for me. Did you read that out yourself? Did you narrate it? I did. Yeah. I, I looked at different options because my wife says I have the tendency to put her to sleep sometimes when I talk about <laughs> credit. So I was a little nervous about, <laughs> about doing it myself. And of course, the time that goes around with it, but yeah. just feedback and what people had kind of said is they really would prefer hearing from the author and mm-hmm. you get a little more of perspective directly from it yeah. when it's the author reading it. So was it so scary putting that book out there that first time you, you just sort of like put that out on Amazon and was that freaky? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the first one was scary. I, I had this reoccurring dream. I was like on Oprah and then like people <laughs> would come in and like make fun of me and tell me I was wrong. And so I like wake right. up and go through and challenge myself, you know, is this principle really correct? Because right. I didn't want to be made fun of on Oprah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. Well, I mean, quite an achievement. Okay, so I got off track there because I'm super interested in that aspect of it. So what's the fastest way, like say somebody comes to you and says, I've got terrible credit and I really want to buy a house as soon as possible. Like what's the thing they can do that will have the biggest impact on their score the fastest? Well, the first thing is they need to get copies of their credit reports because that's one of the things that is easier and also difficult nowadays is that there are so many different ways to check your credit report. But the unfortunate part is that the score that you as the consumer sees is not what the banks use. And that can throw you off dramatically. So a lot of people are so concerned about inquiries or getting a hard hit on their score that they won't talk to a broker (laughs) or go into a bank or a lender. And the inquiries are only a few points. And it is definitely worth talking to a broker to make sure that the score that you're seeing is the actual one. So one of the first things, if mortgage financing is your end goal, going and talking to a broker is probably the first suggestion that I would have. Yeah. Because then the broker can not only tell you what the score is, but also prep you on things in addition to the score, because that score is so misleading. And you would probably have experience with this where they have a high score, but we used to call it a false beacon, but I guess false FICO or just not established enough. And so they'll have a high score, which is great, but then they won't have additional credit accounts or meet other criteria that the underwriter is going to require in order for them to get best rates, best terms anyways. And if they know that a year, two years in advance or months in advance, that's going to be much more helpful knowing that now or right away, as opposed to waiting and thinking that you're doing the right thing, just because you have a high score. And so you help people fix their credit scores. Is that right? So how do you do that? How does that process go? They come to you and then do you sort of tell them what they have to do? Or are you able to sort of take the reins and actually fix it? They can just go, here you go, fix my credit. How does that? Yeah, well, with five kids and a wife at home, they tell me what to do all the time. So this is my opportunity to tell other people yeah. <laughs> what to do. My one specialty there. Yeah. Is, uh, the one thing you can kind of control. Yeah, the one thing I can do. <laughs> but as far as the steps, yes. So there's two different ways or main focuses that I help with. So if it's just education or helping them understand what they need to do to get from best rates for where they are at to Mm -hmm. best rates and best terms, then yes, I can tell them exactly what they need to do and which credit accounts are going to help them the most and what to do and best way to manage those. Okay. 
So that's kind of one portion. But then if there are errors or fraud on the credit reports, Mm -hmm. then I can actually go in and work on their behalf with Equifax and TransUnion to get those corrected. Oh, wow. So they are able to sort of give you like a power of attorney, but like a ability to work on their credit. They're able to give you their authorization for you to do that for them. Yep, exactly. I might have somebody for you, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever encounter situations where the credit is just beyond repair? Like there's just no way this person's ever going to fix their credit. Does that exist? Is there something that's so bad that can be on a credit report? That that person's kind of screwed for life. A double bankruptcy. It's double not bankruptcy. life, but it's a pretty long time. So fourteen yeah. years oh, for wow. a double bankruptcy. So how does that even happen? So you get one bankruptcy, you sort of build it up again, and you get a second bankruptcy within a short period of time. No, like, or is just, that the same as a bankruptcy? Like if you had one bankruptcy and it came off after seven years, then you had another bankruptcy. Is that considered a double bankruptcy? It is. It yeah, is because okay. it, it would actually come back on. So. If you go into a bankruptcy, it's on there for six years with a lot of the Western provinces and seven years in more of the Eastern provinces. It kind of differs, but that's an easy way to break it down. You're on the hook or it's on the credit report for six years. However, even if it was 10 years ago and you went into another bankruptcy, as soon as you enter, that second bankruptcy comes right back on. And so both bankruptcies stay on for 14 years. Yeah. And so the lender will be able to see that first bankruptcy for 14 years and then the second bankruptcy stays on for 14 years and uh, oh wow yeah and so if you see a bankruptcy on your credit report or a lot of brokers are wondering why it's still on the credit report (laughs) after after six or seven years it's probably because they had a previous bankruptcy before and so that's pretty big red flag for underwriters when it comes to mortgage financing Yeah, you can go through as many consumer proposals as you want. And that's only three years with each one. But what about judgments? Judgments, they're six years, but you could have multiple judgments, it doesn't duplicate it. So it's six or seven years for judgments or most public records. But with that double bankruptcy, it's, uh, it doesn't have one overcome. Yeah, it's a hard one to overcome. Okay. So then other than double bankruptcies, how long does it take for somebody to improve their credit if they are really serious about, you know, getting their situation in order and that sort of thing? Yeah. One of the misconceptions that's out there is that like most people consider bankruptcy as the worst thing to do to your credit. It's not, but most people would consider that. But even that one, it's on there for six or seven years. Banks and lenders are really looking for two years of reestablished credit after you've completed it. So that's one of the big misconceptions that's out there is that once you've done or messed up your credit is that you're kind of screwed, like you just give up. But generally speaking, with two years of reestablished credit, there's some options out there for best rates and best terms again. Okay. And so do you have any stories of people you've helped that really went from kind of rock bottom to rock stars? There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. One of the best things or most satisfying things for me is just when people do have really low credit scores. Yeah. Because the lower it is, the faster we can jump it up and the more dramatic the jump. So it makes great for Google reviews <laughs> yeah. and other things is to see. So that what big what jump. do you define as a low credit score? Anything that won't get you approved for best rates and best terms. Right. So our society is very obsessed with the score and 900 being the highest and 300 being the lowest. Mm-hmm. 350, I think, is the lowest that I've seen, which is pretty bad. Yeah. But even with that, I don't really care what your score is. You're either getting approved for best rates and best terms or you're not. That's a good way of looking at it. 
And that's really my message to people is stop obsessing about the score, yeah. figure out how to get approved for best rates and best terms. Once you know that you're in control as yeah. opposed to watching the yo-yo of your score bounce up and down or freaking out because someone's pulling your credit for five points. Yeah. I don't care if it's five points. I don't care if I lose 30 or 40 points because yeah. I know- Why would you still get approved for the loan? That's what exactly. the whole thing is for. Yeah, like it, I know what it's going to take in order to get approved for best rates and best terms. And yeah. I don't need a badge of honor of a high score just, you know, to bragging purposes. Yeah. I get people that are like, why is my score only 750? What do I got to do to get above 800? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, go, <laughs> yeah. Go hang out with your kids or do something yeah. with <laughs> your life. Because once you're over that 700 or 720-ish, once you're over that, there's really no bonus points for being 850 or 900. So how does somebody get a score of 350? <laughs> Most of it is how many negative accounts that they have on there. So, uh -huh. and not only how many, but how many versus how many good accounts that they have on there. So is one of those things where if you have one negative and a whole bunch of positive, then most underwriters will be able to look past that one negative. Right. But when you have a whole bunch of negatives, then that's much harder for an underwriter to look past. So what's the biggest increase you've seen starting from, you know, as far as the change in someone's credit report? Yeah, 250. And that was within 30 days. So actually, wow. it was more like two weeks. But yeah. Wow. And so how were you able to do that? Or how was the borrower that? Yeah, most of it has to do with errors on there. So okay. if there's negative errors that either aren't yours or aren't supposed to be on there, no. then removing them really does a dramatic jump, which is always fun to see <laughs> yeah. on that. And then where you'll get some of the smaller changes is, you know, just getting a new credit account and then that's great. It will improve the credit, but it takes more time to do that. Yeah. So you don't get quite the dramatic jump with that. It's stuff that's good to do. And that's why it's good to know what you should be doing sooner in the process than later. Yeah. But it's always fun to see those dramatic jumps. So what are the most common ways to improve credit? Paying bills on time or opening a credit card? Or there's, I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Is like, how do I improve my credit? What yeah, would you so say is like the, the kind of the number one or two thing to do? Yeah, it depends. Like the first thing is you want to check your credit to make sure that all the information on there is correct. Yeah. So that is the number one, because in addition to how it's going to affect your score, yeah. more importantly, it's how it's going to affect your ability to get approved. And that's okay. some of the biggest shocks is I don't have a Rogers bill. So why is there a collection on my credit report? Right. Identity theft, yeah. that sort of thing can create an error. Yeah. And getting and, that fixed will make a huge jump, I guess. Yeah. And not even just necessarily someone's coming after you for fraud, but your name's Lee or Smith or Jones or any of those. And then all of a sudden you have someone else's information on yours. Oh, and crazy. That's, that's a big one. So it's not necessarily just fraud and, you know, someone coming after you. A lot of yeah. times it's just someone else's information on your credit report that's not supposed to be there. So when there is an error on the report, is it difficult to get that repaired? This is kind of a trick question because I've had to do this to my own credit report and I know it's difficult. <laughs> it can be very difficult. The process should be very simplistic, but the problem is, is one, you have to make sure that it's correct on both Equifax and TransUnion. So right. the job is duplicated just right off the bat. Yeah. So if the error is on both Equifax and TransUnion, you have to double the legwork to get that corrected with each one. Yeah, And then their processes are different. Equifax has just moved to more of an online type solution, which has come with its 
own set of challenges and delays. And then we have TransUnion, which still thinks fax is the secure <laughs> way to go or mail, and that can take forever as well. And so right. you're dealing with two different processes, two different companies, and you have to really know what you're doing, which is yeah. the unfortunate part, because if you don't say the right things or if you don't provide the right documentation, yeah. that month or two month process is now you know extended to three months or four months, or they are not even going to get back to you, which how is really does, challenging. How long does it take on average to get it? repaired on both? For consumers, when they submit it themselves on their side, it's generally a couple months. You know, Equifax is generally a little bit faster because they have the online system as long as you can get the right stuff to them. TransUnion's a little bit slower because it is much, uh, I don't want to say archaic, but their processes are slower methods of communication. So it's a okay. little bit slower there. Well, well, thanks. This has been really, uh, really informative. <laughs> Where yeah, can people find out more about you? So creditgame.net is the best way to get a hold of me. Just it has the different information, a lot of free services and, you know, questions and answers. And I do have a podcast and YouTube channel and stuff like that. So if you're just looking to kind of know a little bit more about credit, that's a good way. If mm-hmm. you're looking to get a hold of me, creditgame.net is the best way to do that. Okay, I'll put that all in the show notes. Great. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much, Richard. You bet. Well, there you have it, folks. You can find out more about Richard by visiting his website at www.creditgame.net or by listening to his podcast, Credit Game Canada, that he co-hosts with his lovely wife. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production. 